transportation, please. Hi, and welcome to Religious Not Spiritual, the podcast where Matt Cook, a disillusioned preacher, reads through the entire Bible and talks about whatever comes up. We pick up our first episode in Revelation 19 and 20, which has Jesus slaying the nations, a crowd of beheaded people finally getting justice, and hell itself being thrown into a lake of fire. And after all these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. It's interesting, the tropes, because the writer here is trying to picture this monumentally evil, oppressive, money-worshipping city that has fallen. So he goes goes with the uh, slut-shaming, which I guess is on point for... uh, 2,000 years ago. It would be interesting to see some of this written again and seeing what metaphors and comparisons they would make today. What would be the figure of extreme injustice that we would use today? It wouldn't be a promiscuous woman. It would be the old capitalist guy. It would be, they wouldn't have to use a metaphor. They would actually say, and then there's Caesar up there with his rings. Anyway, and again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down. Do you remember these guys? These guys are from the very beginning of this vision. This whole vision is taking place while John is standing in like a temple in heaven. He's like in the throne room and the sea is like glass and the Lord is on the throne and there's these four beasts and these 24 elders all around. Um, And this is from where he's seeing the vision. It's almost like, imagine, he's on this massive holodeck uh, with these aliens, and they're showing him all these things. And a voice out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both great and small. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And who's the wife? Who's the wife of the Lamb? It's the church. Ah, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See that thou doest not. I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren and have testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as the flame of fire, and on his head there were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. 
and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he shall treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of a great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That is Armageddon. You've heard about Armageddon. Armageddon, Revelation chapter 19, where Jesus comes not in a stable, not lowly on a donkey to give up his life for the nations, but to destroy and crush the nations. You know, except for the ones wearing white behind him. That took a sharp turn. I don't mean in the book. This is on point for the book. This has been building and building and culminating uh, uh, to this final climactic moment where it's kind of like it almost parallels uh, the plagues of Egypt. You have these plagues that seem to be increasing in intensity. And right before, right when you think things can't get any worse, suddenly, boom, all the firstborn are dead. Uh, right as you, you know, everything is falling. There's stuff falling from the sky. People are getting sick. The greatest city is being destroyed. Everything's turning to blood. It can't get any worse. And suddenly Jesus comes back and he's pissed and he breaks everything. He breaks everything. Now, it's interesting because the perspective from this, from where this was written, and we've talked about this before, he's writing as a, an oppressed person under an oppressive empire. That is where the writer of this is writing this from. So, so when we have then his um, downtrodden underdog hero, Jesus, destroy the nations, overturn the world system, that has a very different feeling than if we take it today and the Christians of today, many of whom occupy the most privileged and powerful positions on the planet, when they take that and identify themselves as uh, uh, the ones in white helping Jesus destroy the nations, that's a different thing altogether, isn't it? It is. It is a different thing. It's a very different thing. Um, and we need to, I think, remember that because this mindset creeps in through our churches and Sunday schools. And it's not even insidious. It's obvious. 
right? Let's think about the songs we sing in Sunday school. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Right? Or, um, you know, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. Right? Or what about that, uh, that uh, missionary song? Give us, you said, you said, ask and I'll give the nations to you. Oh, Lord, that's the cry of our heart. Right? We have this mindset that we've inherited from our oppressed, marginalized patriarchs, right? And it's about over, it's, it's, it's like a narrative of undermining the, you know, the oppressive system, right? It's a narrative of undermining that and bringing in something new. We've inherited this, but now we are the system. We're running the system. And, and suddenly... The myth works funny now. The myth works really funny now. Chapter 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosened a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Pause for a minute. Look at this. I saw those that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. This is very specific. I think that the writer of this knew people who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. Okay. When Christianity was a brand new little cult thing going on, it was, you know, like many brand new little cult things that go on, like most of them, it was like targeted by the government and people were murdered by the many, 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 many people were murdered in the early days of Christianity. Uh, you know, crucified, set fire for Nero's, you know, garden walks. Um, so when he writes this, I, I feel like maybe the writer knew people who did this. So so you can see that this is an idea of the future. He is imagining, imagine when Jesus comes back and overthrows the Romans. And then finally, finally, the people, my brothers and sisters who were killed, they will get their justice, right? This is a, a utopic imagining. Um, and the perspective of it matters, whether you are the one being oppressed or the one part of the oppression. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Martyrs get risen first. Blessed and holy is he that hath a part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the world, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom it is said as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night 
forever and ever. That sounds like hell. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And that's where we'll end it. Today, the great throne, the great throne just, uh, judgment, that's what we call that, the great throne judgment, where all the books are open and everyone's judged according to their works. We're, we're getting into evangelical theology. This isn't what I think. Uh, in evangelical theology, everyone's judged according to their works. Okay, Everybody's works are worthy of hell, though everybody so that's why there's this other book the book of life if your name is in the book of life it means that you believe in jesus um and if your name's not in the book of life you go to hell you don't go to hell for rejecting jesus you go to hell for your works you go to hell because you're a bad bad person jesus is the only way out of it Ugh! what a distasteful and useless doctrine i mean unless it's all real right but i mean the, the weird thing about belief in this sort of very strict evangelical stuff if you for a moment or for a short period of time just kind of experiment with stepping away and imagining str strongly that it's not real that that alone could wreck your faith it really could because the idea of that kind of god is just so tenuous Right, this kind of God who is just so so obsessed with ethics—not even ethics, but like submission out of his critters—that like it just seems so strange. Um, which is why people are losing faith of every religion all over the world, all the time, all the time, all the time. More than are coming in, I think. Um, but I don't know that for sure. I just made that up. But yeah, what a strange, what a strange and unfortunate God at that moment. Um, and you, yeah, I don't know what more to say about the great throne judgment. Except that, yeah, that last verse does seem, uh, does seem to suggest that eternal conscious torment in hell is a real thing. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And earlier it says that the devil and the false prophet and the beast are tormented there forever and ever right and i do want to give a quick response because i really i despise the doctrine of hell even as a christian i did uh, not the whole time it was <clears throat> anyway this is what the problem is with the doctrine of hell yeah that verse seems to suggest that people who go into this place called the lake of fire tormented forever and ever the death and hell also go into the lake of fire is hell tormented forever and ever that doesn't make any sense death is death a guy 
Is he being tormented forever and ever? I don't know. Uh, the devil, the false prophet, and the beast, they're obviously um, weird supernatural critters maybe, so that could explain why they get tormented forever and ever. Remember, the lake of fire is meant to be a place prepared for the devil and his angels who are immortal, who cannot perish, who will be tormented forever and ever in the evangelical schema of things. But remember, every instance of sin in the Bible and judgment, it talks about death. It doesn't talk about torment. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is life. Okay? Um, Sheol, or Gehenna rather, uh, Sheol is the grave, and Gehenna is a garbage dump south of Jerusalem where they were always burning stuff because it's garbage, and there's always people weeping and gnashing there because where all the really, really destitute and broken, lived people live. That's why Jesus uses it, as, uh, uses it as a metaphor. Don't be like this, or else your life is headed to the dumps, to the hellish dumps. Um, and I mean, oh my God, what kind of strange version of love are you teaching when the being that embodies love has a will to um, eternally torment billions and billions of sentient creatures forever and ever and ever because they were bad. Why were they bad? He kind of made them that way, but not in such a way to make him responsible, right? Um, so, so, so the problem with hell is this. First off, this is the only kind of seemingly clear verse on hell, and it's in a book that has scorpion locusts, um, so I don't know if I'd want to build a whole theology on it. And every other time it talks about sin and judgment, it's death. And also, hell's a super Greek idea, guys. Okay? It got popular with Augustine. It's not, it's not Christian. It's pagan. It's, it's not Jewish, for sure. And, um, so what was I saying? It's not really, it, it, it makes God a monster. It makes the love of God monstrous, which of course allows Christians perhaps the opportunity to act outside of love whenever they want because, hey, love will send people to hell. And it's not really biblical. It's not really biblical. And it's pointless. What the frig is the point? People are like, what's the point of getting saved if there's nothing to be saved from? Death. Death. Oh my God. I mean, oh, the way to death. Death. I'm trying to avoid torment. What a psychotic, sadistic. It disgusts me. Hell is disgusting. Hell is disgusting. It really is. If I, I never want to change people's faith, really. I don't want to touch people's religious things. And I definitely don't want to get anyone to not believe in God because of anything that I've said. But if I could convince you not to believe in hell, that would be great. Because hell is monstrous and it, it creates a monstrous God. Did it do?